I'm Jeff. I'm Kia. And I'm Craig. And we just watched Piranha. Piranha. The South Americans call them devilfish. They attack in thousands, devour in seconds. And they're here, stalking the lakes and rivers of America. Piranha, starring Bradford Gilman, Heather Menzies, and Kevin McCarthy in a movie so terrifying you'll never swim in the water again. Piranha. They're here, and they're hungry. Rated R, under 17, not admitted without peril. It's true. 19s. What? Or as some of them say, piranha. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I noticed that. There was some interesting, uh, interesting takes on the word. Maybe that's the actual Brazilian way to say it or something? Like, is it like the... Uh, I don't know. It's kind of like in Twilight Zone when people say robot instead of oh, robot. Yeah. Or like any old school movie. Yeah, they yeah, always yeah. say robot. Robot. <laughs> it, is, it makes me question, like, well, are we supposed to be saying robot? Is that how, like... We are definitely not supposed to be saying robot. That sounds stupid. <laughs> Maybe, like, Isaac Asimov, back in the day, that's how he pronounced it. He was like, my five rules of artificial intelligence for robots, you know. It just like, sounds so... It doesn't sound... Hmm. It sounds like a, the way an old, an old person would say robot. That's true. It's old school. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. She is just a robot. I selected Piranha 1978 directed by Joe Dante written by John Sales and produced by Roger Corman and I selected it because I've been picking mostly 70s movies and this was a blind spot in my um, uh, Joe Dante viewing experience I'd never really gotten around to uh checking this one out from start to finish. I think I'd seen scenes and, and bits here and there and maybe watched it in the background growing up. Um, but this is the first time I've ever really sat and watched and zeroed in on it. So that's why I selected it. Oh, and also because I thought it'd be a nice send-off to the summer oh. because it's kind of like the last hurrah before fall sets in and spooky season sets in. So this was a nice mm-hmm. summer film, I thought. Kia, would you give us a brief synopsis? Absolutely. This is a brief synopsis from IMDb. When flesh-eating piranhas are accidentally released into a summer resort's rivers, the guests become their next meal. Oh. I think that is an oversimplification of the plot. Yeah, but <laughs> because there were so many times watching this movie, this is like a B-level, you know, uh, I think it's Joe Dante's first time directing Solo, and John Sales, it's his first script. And uh, you would think it would be very streamlined and simple, but there were so many questions I had <laughs> watching this because I, I guess I just didn't quite zero in enough and pay hmm. well enough attention to some of the dialogue because I, I, I did not get some of the connective tissue here and yeah. there. It's a movie that it's easy to, to kind of like talk through sometimes mm. too. Yeah. So I think that's what happened. We kind of, when Dick Miller shows up, we kind of, Start talking about Dick Miller, right? And then we we missed something. So and Kevin McCarthy too. And Kevin McCarthy, what, what, you know, I couldn't help but like, you know, he he has such a brief part in the Misfits, which is a movie we watched recently mm-hmm. that I'm kind of obsessed with right now. <laughs> and uh, he has just like a really brief. It's almost like a cameo where he's like divorcing Marilyn Monroe, and he's like, <laughs> "Well, baby, good luck with ya," you know. And That's it's so weird, like you know. His his. Favorite cameo. Oh, if you have to yeah. be in a movie, at Play least you opposite. get to be in a movie with Marilyn Monroe oh, yeah. <laughs> playing oh, her yeah. ex-husband. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I've been there. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do think, just real quick before we get into it, is 
I just want to get out get it out of the way because I make this observation about every seventies movie I pick. But uh, I love how everyone looks like real people in this movie. Oh yeah! Like even the stars, like Kevin McCarthy, for instance, they look like real people, and the the main characters for sure. I mean, yeah. like that the woodsman, whatever that's at the center of all this. I mean, he looks like he could totally have been like my shop teacher in high school. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like I, I just think it's so cool, man, that people used to look like real people in movies. And there's just something organic about it. It's, that seems like a very distinct thing that we've noticed because we've been watching a lot of old movies and it seems to be very particular for the 70s. Yeah. It seems because um, even like 60s and before, everyone's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. 80s, people start being super attractive and super muscular and masculine. But the 70s, they're just just dudes like yeah. James Caan and, and who, oh my gosh, I can't even think of anyone else. Like Dustin Hoffman. Well, They're even just a guy like, like Burt Reynolds, who is Burt considered Reynolds. super attractive yeah. and sexy and stuff, he looks like a, a normal man. Got, yeah. You know, like and now all the men are so manicured and sculpted, and, and yeah, they just seem so fake compared to these guys that were like salt of the earth, you know, mm. war vets and uh, you know guys that had real jobs like Harrison Ford before he became an actor. You know, he's a carpenter. Yeah. I think there's something about that that we've lost that step where now yeah. all the actors are. At most, they waited tables. Like, that's the most legit <laughs> yeah. job they've ever had and ever since they've just been... I mean, think of a guy like Ryan Gosling. I love him. I think he's yeah. awesome. But he was a child actor. Like, he's never known anything but being yeah. an actor, you know? Like, there's uh, a, I don't know. Uh, there's a Jim Gaffigan bit where he's talking about that movie <laughs> Monster with uh, uh, Halle Berry. And he's, oh, yeah. He's talking about how she's like, all poor and destitute and everything. He's like, well, she's really good looking. She should, you know, get a portfolio <laughs> together and become a model. She could be the next Halle Berry. You know? I mean, she's poor and destitute, but she has perfect teeth. <laughs> yeah. She's an, like an absolute stunning, beautiful woman. You're like, oh, why don't you just become a model or an actress? <laughs> <laughs> Leave the small town. And yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, what about you guys? We always kind of kick oh, things monster's off. Monster's ball. Sorry. I got That's when you it. Said, yeah. Yeah. All oh, right. In Monster, she actually did uh, oh, make yeah, herself unattractive. Oh, yeah, one about the female serial killer, yeah. right? I was just going to say real quick, too, like, th- that's how far that pendulum has swung, that nowadays a uh, glamorous star tries to look like a regular person, and that's how we go, holy shit, they're serious this time. They look like a regular <laughs> yeah. person. You deserve that's a how reward f- for looking like a normal person. <laughs> yeah, it's like you look like a normal plebe that doesn't, <laughs> you know, work out eight hours a day and eat right all the time, and so therefore, here's your reward. Um, but yeah, in the seventies, man, they just, uh, you know, they just rolled into the set, did their movies. The seventies are really interesting. It always strikes me as being kind of dirty and grimy and everything's Mm. brown, but, um, (laughs) but I really like, I really like seventies movies. I don't know why. Um, there's not, I guess it's the grittiness and the realness of it. They all seem like it's just a miserable (laughs) <laughs> decade. <laughs> well, we are, in all, in all fairness, we are seeing the cream of the crop. Like, uh, there's so many course, horrible movies it, yeah. made in the 70s, I'm sure, that we'll never see. But but Jeff, what is your experience with Piranha before we did the podcast? I've uh, never seen it. I've always heard of it, and I knew Joe Dante directed it, so that was also one of my blind spots basically yeah. exactly what you were saying but um yeah i mean i saw the like the remake they did about 10 years ago or however long ago that was right and it and it's very clear after watching this movie the 78 version that uh piranha 
3D was literally a remake and name only. Like they, mm. yeah, they took very, very, very little from the original. It said there was a remake also in 1995. I saw which that. I don't. I don't think I've ever seen that. It might be like a TV movie or something, oh. maybe because it looked very like I think it has like a three rating or something like that on IMDb. <laughs> yeah, um, the one, the Prada 3D was more of a comedy than a actual horror movie, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny because I think I read a, a quote from Roger Corman saying, you know, like, hey, this is kind of my spoof of Jaws. You know, this is my little B-movie version of Jaws. And he, he, it's funny for me for him to use the word spoof because it's kind of like, to me, it plays pretty much like a straight yeah. movie. There's not that much. Yeah. I mean, it's silly in parts and everything. But for the most part, it works as a regular horror movie, I thought. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah when I heard that word, too or saw that as a, in, a, in a description of the movie, I didn't get it, because in my mind, a spoof is supposed to be funny, or you're making fun of that movie. Like, how scary a movie is a spoof of Scream or something. Right. Or, right. or horror movies in general. And I didn't get that from this. Like, it was, when the movie ended, I remember saying, like, that's just, like, a legitimately good 70s movie. Yeah. I was going to say, like, the only, the only thing in it that felt, like, uh, almost like it was going for kind of a laugh almost or not maybe not a laugh but maybe not being taken too seriously was that one camp counselor guy with the beard yeah like he was the only thing in the movie and it wasn't like you know he didn't take me out of the movie or anything like oh you're not taking this seriously he felt like he maybe was supposed to be comic relief almost or i don't know yeah and that that actor crops up and you know he's the eating raul guy right that pops up in like shopping mall Uh and and, and I get that they're they're playing around with uh, tropes of, like, 50s, you know, uh, mutation movies and stuff like that. So there's some stuff that's, like, tongue-in-cheek. But, it, but again, yeah, I think it works just totally as a straight horror movie for the most part. Um, what about you, Kia? You, you, I think you're the only one of us that have seen this movie before. That's right. When I was about five or six, I was like, I wonder what Joe Dante's first movie was like. So we went to Turtles, which was the video store that we went to turtles and as most things in the 80s and 70s it was also just a brown store it was just just brown and the cassettes the the covers were just plain and brown but um we would always go there and for some reason when we would rent movies as when i was a kid i always remember just the horror movies and my mom is not a horror person and i was obviously way too young but because that's where I saw Fright Night, I yeah. Spit on Your Grave, and every and and Piranha. Obviously made an impression. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so I've always obviously known about Piranha and remember watching it as a kid, but I didn't remember specific things about the movie. I just remember the little fish yeah. and, and them biting people. Um, so yeah, and then I put it on in the background recently, but didn't really pay attention to it. So as a fully functional person. My recent viewing was like the the first one. It, just to backtrack to renting movies, this is uh, old person uh, movie hour. Uh, <laughs> like, do you guys remember when you could like rent movies at the grocery store? Was that a thing for yes. you guys? Yeah, uh, I, I guess I, n- I never did, but yeah, huh. I I remember being a little kid and <laughs> occasionally we would rent movies at our local grocery store, and I think that would be such a strange phenomenon. <laughs> To someone under 35, I guess, it would just be a really weird... They'd probably be like, oh, you mean Redbox? And it's like, no. No, there, were like an actual, <laughs> there was like a little like, uh, like makeshift video store in the grocery store, basically. Yeah. I mean, 
I remember my uh, <laughs> my cousin, who you you know too, Chris. Oh uh, yeah. I remember we went to the to the video store in Kroger, and we rented um, uh, Mall Rats and Empire Records, and that was the first time I ever saw those movies. And we Damn. Took, it, took it back to his mom's trailer and watched it. <laughs> watched See, it, and that's mid '90s. I didn't even yeah. know that that kept going mm-hmm. that late. When y'all yeah. were kids, what was what was the go-to video rental store for you? That wasn't a grocery store. Like, what was it called? We, we, uh, I, there was a mom and pop one close to where I lived called Showtime Video. Oh, I that's, remember that. That's, yeah, that's where we went most of the time when I was young. Now it's a Chinese restaurant. Yeah, it sure is. But uh, I used to go to a place in Gallatin called Satellite Country, which now is That doesn't where even Craig... sound like a movie store. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually where Craig gets his hair cut now. <laughs> Oh, it's oh, the nice. exact same building. <laughs> yeah, that's where that old school uh, barber shop is now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is an interesting name for a video store. Satellite well, they, Country. Well, they started off as like selling, you know, satellite dishes. Oh, okay. When videos <laughs> got popular, they're like, let's rent videos too. And then that just oh. became their main thing. It's so amazing that people like made their livings doing that for a while. Like just regular people mm-hmm. started doing video store rental. I mean, that was like a career for a while. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Those are, yeah, those are good memories. Just mm. going to the video store. And whenever I went, um, go to my dad's house for them every other weekend, we always would go to Blockbuster and then mm. go home, eat dinner and watch movies. It was a real event. Like, yeah. it, 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 it's tough to recapture with streaming. Streaming is amazing. I mean, it has so it's many advantages. It's a different experience. You yeah. don't even know if your movie's going to be there when you get to the store. <laughs> and then you got to be like, oh, shit, this movie is due tonight. i got to drive to the video store to drop this off. Yeah. Force you to get out into the world. Yeah. <laughs> and it was fun to, like, search for videos. I feel like that was, like, a yeah. big Friday thing for me and, like, other kids growing up. It was like, hey, it's Friday or Saturday. Let's go to the video store and see what they have. Like, <laughs> and you'd have, like, a friend come spend the night and you're like, Hey, let's go to the store. Let's maybe we should rent like one of the Faces of Death movies. You know? Oh, like, sure, yeah. <laughs> that's and that's back when like the the photo art. I mean, the box art mattered so much. Oh, yeah. I mean, that stuff sold the movie, especially horror movies. I still you know? remember being a kid in video stores and seeing a cover and being like, I, I'm too scared to watch that. And when I see it now as an adult, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I remember that cover. Like, it still kind of gives Fool's you that pain. Day yeah. Was one of them um, that Return of the Living Dead. Oh, three. three, yeah. Or, yeah, I've, I've still never seen, but that cover is just so vivid in my mind and just other things. Um, I remember, like, the cover of yeah. Fright Night and the cover of Bad yeah. Taste. We used to... Oh, sure, I, I remember know, that. I don't know Bad Taste. It's a Peter Jackson movie, yeah. really huh. early one. And I didn't see it until I was in my 20s, but I remember seeing the box art every time I went to the video store and it was that guy doing this, but, like, you were yeah. supposed to cut one of his fingers out. I'm sorry, oh. he's mm-hmm. holding up two fingers, but if you cut, mm-hmm. cut out one of his fingers, he's, like, flicking a bird. Yeah. Oh. Hmm. But, uh, is it a horror movie? Uh, kind of, I guess. Huh. It, uh, actually, you know that um, holding up your fingers like that, reverse peace sign, mm-hmm. is, is... Like telling oh, someone yeah, to fuck you're right. off. Yeah, like yeah. yeah. or whatever. In most places, uh, it, it dates back to um, <laughs> uh, longbowmen. Like, those were the oh. fingers they used to draw back an arrow. So it's basically oh. like a threat, basically saying, like, I can shoot you with these, you know. Because Spike... Oh. Jeff won't know this, but Spike does that in Buffy, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And he's yeah. British, yeah. He's yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> so do the guys yeah. in Oasis. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> it's, 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 it's like, like one of those things, thing. for sure. And it was like kind of lost on me for many years until oh. I learned that. And I was like, oh, shit. Like all these years I've seen people doing that gesture. And I thought oh. it was like, yeah, you know, just 
kind of aggressive, but not that big of a deal. And, you know, it ends up, it's like flipping the bird for sure. So hmm. This is almost like a spinoff podcast. Remember when? <laughs> yeah, I know. That's, that's why I said this is like old person movie like hour it. for I a like second. It. Where we uh, talk about movies, rentals. Huge Joe Dante fan, and uh, I think he's a national treasure. He's one of those people that when he decides to retire, or many, 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 many years from now when he passes away, people will act like, oh, man, I was the biggest Joe Dante fan and all this <laughs> stuff. And it's like, like, I, it frustrates me so much that he, like, he has a great podcast called The Movies That Made Me. Yeah. And uh, he interviews someone and they talk about movies. He's so sharp and on it and knows so much. I mean, he's just like a, an encyclopedia of film. And uh, every now and then he'll mention how hard it is for him to get a movie financed or a project off the ground. He's been trying to make a Roger Corman movie for like kind of like an Ed Wood-esque Roger mm -hmm. Corman movie for going on a decade now. And wow. no one will finance it. That seems so weird, given that there's a thousand streaming services yeah. and yeah. and Shutter like Shutter that, won't. That's what I'm saying. Like, uh, like I don't get why people our age that are in power at some of these studios, why would they wouldn't just go? I'm writing you a check because you yeah. you made my childhood yeah. like Gremlins yeah. <laughs> and all these movies that just absolutely fascinated me. You are the man, and you want to make a movie. Here you go. I, I, I don't, and if anybody, if you know someone or you're in that spot and you hear this, get in touch with Joe Dante because I think he is like primed to make a movie right now and he could still make a really great one if people would let him. So yeah, he should do like a, a goat, not a GoFundMe, but uh, what's that thing called? Like, like Kickstarter, Kickstarter yeah. or something. I just, I think he's too old school to go that route. I, I, he shouldn't I mean? have to with his I connections totally agree. Yeah. and his pedigree. Yeah. It, they even did like one of those um, hmm. uh, script readings, like a public script reading to kind of get people interested in it. And they had Bill Hader play Roger Corman and I forgot who else. There were like some names that came in to play different parts and apparently went over great. And that was like right before the pandemic and that kind of screwed things up a little bit. But, I, you know, you would just think somebody at that script reading would have been like, hell yeah, man, like On this is... You know, something really interesting. On his podcast, has he ever mentioned what his favorite movie was or is? You know what? I don't know. Off the top of my head, I'm not sure. I'm interested. He, I'm interested in have. what older actors and he, people in Hollywood like. I think uh, the biggest thing that jumps out to me about Joe Dante in that podcast is uh, how he said he hated uh, Casper, the friendly ghost. He said when he was a little <laughs> kid and, and his friends and I, they would go to see movies for the cartoons that whenever Casper came on, they were all like, ah, oh, no, not fucking Casper, because it was all just a whiny, like, I don't have any friends, you know, and they were like, we don't want to see that. We want to see Woody Woodpecker fuck someone up, you know. Um, so I always thought that was really funny. Um, but yeah, and they, they always go into, the, talking about old man movie hour, uh, they always go into the experience of buying a TV guide when they were young people mm. and like planning out their week of like, okay, this movie comes on at like two in the morning. I used to do that. I mean, I, I didn't buy it. It came in the newspaper, but, but I totally used to do that. Oh yeah. But I mean, <laughs> they were just, they lived in an era where they didn't even have VHS. So, I mean, if they yeah. wanted to see an old school movie, they definitely had to catch it on yeah. television. And you know, <laughs> I couldn't mm. imagine. I mean, we, mm. we grew up in an era where, you know, we could at least reason, record you could, something. Yeah. You could, you could get something, but <laughs> Yeah, um, I was going to say that, uh, you know, in the beginning of the movie, when the 
you know, well, not the very beginning, like after the the couple goes like skinny dipping. Mm. But when the, you know, the other two, the main stars of the movie show up to uh, investigate, they go into that like laboratory and there's these like weird stop motion creatures. Yes. Mm. yes. I, yeah. I, maybe I just wasn't paying close enough attention, but I never, I didn't understand. I thought like, oh, this is, they're, so they're not actual piranha. They're like these little alien looking creatures, but like they weren't like there were actual piranha but and these were separate uh creatures offshoots yeah Yeah, i I wasn't exactly sure what those were supposed to be yeah they were really fascinating it was like a harryhausen-esque stop animation character uh kind of peering around and then there was another just goofy looking rubber monster in an aquarium um but i did read about how apparently in the original concept that uh, we were going to encounter that stop animation creature throughout the movie. And as it fed, it was going to get bigger. So uh, by the end of the film, it would be like a full size uh, kaiju, almost like big monster that they have to fight at some point. Like it's like attacking a pier and they have to like machine gun it and the whole thing. That would have been really pretty out there and way too ambitious for a Roger Corman movie. So basically they were like, you have enough budget to do this one little gag and they just dropped it after that. They, they kind of like jettisoned. So I guess it just kind of implies, you know, Kevin McCarthy as the mad scientist was up to Mm -hmm. a lot more than just those straight, uh, piranhas that we see through the rest of the film. They had other offshoots and weird strains and stuff like that. Um, I felt kind of bad for the one in the aquarium. Cause it, it, they just they like look at it like oh it's fucked up you know and, <laughs> and it's kind of looking back at them like huh you know like it, like it wants attention or something and then they're like let's just get that out of here this place gives me the creeps you know and um and uh, now but, it's just gonna die I guess I no guess one's yeah Kevin McCarthy's not gonna be taking care of him anymore because they uh they kind of abandoned that site afterwards oh. so. I have a standout moment yes it's what I called the Ruth moment if you ever God <laughs> yes. Have you ever seen Dante, da, Dante's Peak? Um, have you seen Dante's Peak, Jeff? Nope. Oh. Well, spoiler. It's the Pierce Brosnan and Linda Hamilton movie where there's a big volcano called Dante's Peak, and it explodes. And in the movie, there's an old lady. It's the grandmother, and she refuses to evacuate. This is my home. So the grandkids are like, we got to go save Nana, like two idiots. So they steal a car and they go rescue her. So they get stuck, you know, in the town while the volcano is going off. So then they have to go through a a lava river that's become, a river that's become a lava. And for some reason, Ruth, to save her family, even though they're like a foot away from the pier, she gets into the river of lava and she's like dragging the boat with Pierce Brosnan and Linda Hamilton and the two kids on it. And everyone's like, no, Ruth, no. Ah. And she's all like, oh, ah, ah. And, then, and then she dies. And if, it's just the dumbest, yeah. most unnecessary death like, in cinema history. It's, it's really hilarious. There's no way to understate how close they're in the superheated water and they're in a boat and they're like an arm's length from the dock. Like, they're so close to getting to where they need to be. And she's like, no. She, like, gets out and, like, horribly maims herself, you know, trying to drag the boat the last little, like, five feet. And, it, yeah, it's just ridiculous. And it's, like, this tender moment. And I think most people that have ever watched the movie are like, fuck Ruth. Like, she's one, she was selfish, and she's just right. stupid. So, in Piranha, they're Kevin McCarthy and Grogan. I think that's his last name. And the lady, whose name I don't remember. 
Yeah, um, and our heroes are one is a woods like Maggie. an outdoorsman type guy that's living in seclusion in a cabin in the woods. Yeah, and uh, the female protagonist, I, I guess she's like a. She's kind of like a PI, I guess, I trying to she, find a missing person. She like the, finds people that have like that um, are she, that she, to collect debts from them or or oh, that okay. is, something like that. So, like this she young couple people. in the opening credits or the opening of the film, a young couple gets killed by the piranha by jumping into this little pond. Uh, you know, yeah. that they're going swimming. Very Jaws esque opening because it's nighttime and it's like you know this young couple and everything. But uh, our female protagonist is sent to. Uh, locate one of these people, one of these young people, and uh, when she gets to this woodland area, this takes place in Texas, right? Yeah. It's supposed to be Texas. Um, She locates the male hero, who is a woodsman, outdoorsman, and they team up to try to find out what happened to this young couple. Yeah. And that leads us to uh, the site where the couple got killed, where they went into the pond and they were eaten by piranha in the opening sequence. And uh, when the young couple, or when our heroes are uh, investigating it, they run into Kevin McCarthy, who is a mad scientist who's been working on these uh, strains of piranha for better part of a decade. Um, and that leads us, well, eventually they capture Kevin McCarthy, yeah. and they take him on a raft down the river. Yeah. The, yes. So the main characters are Paul and Maggie, mm. and Paul is divorced, and he has a daughter, and him and his daughter at some point put together this raft because they read Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn or something. Yeah. So they're on this raft. They don't realize, I guess, how significant. they When they're at this laboratory, they drain the pond. Mm-hmm. And by draining the pond, that somehow releases the piranha into the river. They don't really realize that, I guess. So they're just in this on the raft going with Kevin McCarthy. It, I guess it, they do realize that because I think they're trying to reach, I don't know. Well, they didn't know. I think they just drained the pond, thinking that there was a chance that the remains of the kid, the young people, were in there. Um, But they didn't realize that there was anything hazardous, which they probably should have. But so along the way, they find this kid that's on top of a capsized canoe Mm. because his dad was attacked by piranha, eaten by piranha. So now he's like, "Daddy!" on top of this canoe. (laughs) So as our raft people approach him. Kevin McCarthy, even though he's injured, um, he decides, I'm going to go rescue this kid. So he pulls a Ruth. He jumps into the water. And then you realize, like, what the hell are you going to do? Like, when you get there. Yeah, he like, just how swam are you gonna... to the kid and yeah. then didn't really do anything. And then yeah. this kid gets to watch a second person be devoured by piranha. So now he's just doubly traumatized this kid unnecessarily. Yeah. I, so. I do think, that, you know, in all fairness to the screenplay or whatever, Kevin McCarthy had just explained his role in creating these yeah. vicious piranha and how they were supposed to be uh, a weapon against the Vietnamese yeah. uh, during the war and all this stuff. And uh, he kind of, I think it's kind of like sinking in that he's done something wrong and now it's going to affect it's guilt. Uh, yeah. So I think it was kind of like his last hurrah to kind of like do something nice because. <laughs> and that's probably know, the, what Ruth was doing because sure. if it wasn't for her, <laughs> her family would be safe. Dante's peak. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the Ruth moment. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I liked, uh, <laughs> I really loved the, uh, the, the wackadoo. It's like that whole sequence where there was a motorboat pulling a guy, <laughs> like water skiing. And then uh, you get to see, you see like scuba divers, you know, yeah. getting into the water. It's like all these things are happening on the water and you see the piranhas intercut into it. 
and you keep thinking like something's going to happen here. Something's going to happen. Scuba Diver gets eaten by or attacked by piranhas. He submerges to the surface or whatever, or whatever. He g- goes to the surface. <laughs> the skier notices him. Says like, "Slow down, slow down," you know, and like there's all this anarchy. And then uh, <laughs> out of nowhere, another motorboat shows up, and it's a guy wearing a helmet, <laughs> and he just like steamrolls through. The other boat, like the that we had been following for a couple of minutes with the skiers and stuff. I mean, he just steamrolls through it. It explodes completely. Wait, so the boat that's pulling that the the that's pulling the skier that's the boat that explodes. I, I thought no, so. It was a different boat. It was a different. Oh boat. Jesus! So yeah. I lost just, complete track. There's just someone else out in the middle of the water. Too. There was this like mass yeah. chaos because we were following different. I think it was deliberate. I mean, we follow yeah. like all these different strains that kind of come together. And I but think like, that they were trying to show, like, the guy had, like, a, a can of gasoline when he, I think he was trying to fill up his uh, motor oh on his boat. Oh, God. And that's why it exploded. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. just running into gasoline makes a huge <laughs> explosion happen, I guess. I mean, it was just complete chaos, and I but loved Craig's it. But reaction, are you, oh, no, go ahead. Craig's yeah. reaction was so funny because the guy rams through the boat and explodes, and Craig is like, oh, no. And then the guy emerges, and he's like, oh, he survived. And the way he said it, it was just hilarious because this guy survived, the boat survived unscathed, and it looks like he just kept going. Yeah, he didn't didn't (laughs) skip a beat. The guy wearing the helmet that runs through the boat that explodes, I mean, the movie makes it seem like he just kept going, and he just docked somewhere, got off, got a sandwich. He was was fine with it. more than obvious that this was... A stunt. The stunt. Yeah, right. Him wearing a helmet. Or unless this guy was just an asshole and he's like, this is the moment I've been looking right. for. Right. He reinforced his boat because he, <laughs> he was just dying for a moment to, to steamroll someone. Yeah. It's his ex-girlfriend's new boyfriend. He's just like, there he is. I got him. <laughs> I see him filling up. I know what that means. If I hit him head on, he'll explode. But then we never get any closure. We never find out what happens to anybody. Yeah. You, they, they totally drop all those. Yeah. Tan- like they seem sort of important, all these little tangents yeah. going on, but it's literally just for that sequence for the explosion. It would have been cool if the guy, because the, the, the two ladies that are driving the boat, um, at some point she slows down and he kind of like starts to go back in the water and he's like, no speed up. But it would have been cool if she slowed down and he starts to go back in the water and they don't speed up cause they don't hear him. And then he gets eaten. Mm-hmm. And then when they do speed up, it's just nothing there because uh, yeah. he's dead. Right. Or if, or if he came back up out of the water, he's just got little, like, piranha <laughs> fish sticking to him everywhere, and they're flapping. He's like, oh! That, like, yeah. that would have been great. But that didn't happen. They just gave us an unnecessary explosion. But I mean, it was funny. This is a Roger Corman film, and it's extremely low budget, so a lot of these ideas that we're having would probably be, like, really difficult to do in the late 70s on a shoestring budget. To just know. attach some rubber hey. fish to it? <laughs> yes, yes. And I think they blew uh, their whole budget on that boat exploding. <laughs> yeah, for sure. They're, they were like, well, this is it. <laughs> yeah. um, I think another funny moment is more because of <laughs> Craig's reaction was when they introduced Dick Miller. Oh, yeah. Because he's, he's opening this resort. So there's right. a couple of big things going on. There's our main guy, Paul, his daughter's at summer camp. So he's oh, concerned yeah. about her... Um, He's concerned about her and, I guess, the rest of the kids that are going to be in the water. Right, because the piranha are going upstream towards them. And he's also concerned. He's not concerned, but there's also a a resort opening. So there's a lot of people in town for this Mm -hmm. resort. And and Dick Miller's over it, or he's opening the resort. Right. And so 
He's on the phone. There's also a colonel that shows up that's invested in the resort and also is trying to keep everyone from knowing about the piranha. And he's on the phone with the colonel, and he says something like, you have my word as a Texan. But, but Craig mentions how... I think, it's, I think it's intentional. It's supposed to be a joke because he right. obviously has a really heavy New York accent. Yeah. I just thought that was funny. I mean, I, I, it took me a second to realize, like, oh, this is Joe Dante playing around. Yeah. He, he deliberately cast Dick Miller in this role. Because he's like, come on, you schmucks. Right. I mean, he, he's, like. he's deliberately using New York-esque dialogue <laughs> and, you know, but it's, it's, it just kind of adds to this angle that he's a huckster, right? Yeah. He's, he's, he's playing people and he's pretending to be this big Texas guy or whatever, but he's obviously from the Bronx and, yeah. uh, you know, is just playing all these rubes or whatever with his, <laughs> his resort opening. So he's, he's very much in the mold of the mayor and the, and Jaws, yeah, right? Cause yeah. he's basically like, we, even though he knows that there's some kind of threat, he's like, no, no, no. Like let's talk about the Jaws connection, like how they were going to get sued and all that stuff. Supposedly, um, Universal Studios was going to sue Roger Corman, uh, for Piranha cause they thought it was a little too close to Jaws um, and the Hollywood legend is that Spielberg screened Piranha and convinced Universal Studios not to sue them because he liked it so much. He thought yeah. it was like such a fun movie that he didn't really care about the similarities yeah. and everything. And wa- watching it with that in mind, I didn't see that many carryovers to, for, a, for a lawsuit. I mean, yeah, when I was watching it, I, I really expected there to be more similarities to Jaws than there were. And I was like, this really, I mean, other than there just being, you know, some kind of threat in the water, some kind of dangerous man-eating animal in the water. Yeah. It's really very different in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, the opening is slightly similar because it's mm-hmm. like a young couple at night type of thing getting attacked. Um, yeah. And um, again, there's a little carryover, I think, with the mayor and the resort opener. Right. I mean, this is really small things, but I mean, mm-hmm. that's almost like any screenplay could have those... Yeah. two or three similarities if you stack them up against each other. So, And I think I liked how they acknowledged Jaws at the beginning because our, our main lady, Maggie, when she, before she heads out of town, I guess she's at a, I don't know, a, a, if she's at a bus station or a train station right. someplace, and she's playing a video game and it's a Jaws video game. Yeah. So I think, I thought that was cool yeah, how they I mean, just went ahead and acknowledged. For sure. You know, <laughs> and, and Hollywood, uh, another Hollywood legend, and Joe Joe Dante confirmed this on his podcast is uh, he was almost or he was chosen by Universal Studios to do Jaws Part Three at one point, and the gag was it was going to be a spoof movie, and it was going to be called Jaws Three Human Zero, and the idea you know <laughs> is is like you know Jaws is going out there and taking another bite out of people or whatever. And it was going to be a funny film, and it just never quite came. It was going to be like a National Lampoon-style movie, hmm. and it never quite came together. And obviously, they ended up doing Jaws 3D instead. Um, but it was another one of those near misses. For Sometimes Hollywood just has really weird ideas. Like, you, you would take one of the most iconic movies of all time, and by the third installment, you're already making it a comedy. Right. <laughs> it just seems strange. It's not even 10 years <laughs> out, too. You know what I mean? Like Jaws would still be a pretty recent movie when they were putting together part three. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I liked the camp in this movie. Yeah. Not the, the, the man who runs the camp, the eating Raul guy was kind of, um, just really strict. Mm-hmm. He wasn't, but he wasn't like a creepy camp counselor or anything like that. Um, and his, I like 
He was just kind of a hard ass. A hard ass. And I like the camp counselors because it seems like most camp movies, either the counselors are more concerned with banging each other than taking care of the kids. And in this one, there's only two camp counselors. There are two girls, two young ladies, and they like really cared about the kids. I kind of like that. Most (laughs) camp movies make camps look dangerous or not very fun or just a bunch of people there just doing stupid, immature things. And I was like, this is actually a, a nicely run camp yeah, the, for the, the most part. <laughs> the camp subplot is almost like 25% of the movie, too. It's, it's another reason I think this is a great uh, selection for a summer horror movie, because it just has all the hallmarks of, I mean, you have a camp you know, storyline, you have uh, you know, going on the water, it's summertime in the yeah. movie, it's all those things kind of coming together. It's, it's a pretty fun... And it's def- I think it does a better job of making it feel like a summer movie consistently with the resort mm-hmm. and the campers more so than Jaws because, like you pointed out, at some point Jaws just becomes a movie with three guys on a boat. Yeah, and the like, last act of Jaws is is uh, yeah. yeah, it's just the, literally those three men against nature type yeah. of thing. Yeah, like this movie feels like it's I don't know. I just I like the feel of this movie with yeah. it with it going back and forth from the resort to the camp and. Two, two interesting things. One, I think it's interesting that they had the scene of the campers just getting eaten to death because they were a bunch oh, of kids. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. That was pretty gruesome. Yeah. Um, and so I would just, most movies don't have young kids of this age, like 10, 12, 13, just being butchered. Oh, brutalized. And they did that yeah. in this movie. Um, but not the daughter. She's safe. And then our main guy, Paul, when he finally does what he does to kind of help the cause, he's letting some industrial waste into the river to hopefully kill the piranha. He gets brutally attacked too. Mm -hmm. Um, So much that I thought, oh, he's going to die. Like he's going to sacrifice himself. But it shows him at the end just kind of truly traumatized. But his face is all torn apart. Yeah, he's (laughs) shell-shocked. Absolutely. Yeah, he doesn't even say a word. There's not like, like a modern movie, like say starring The Rock or something. (laughs) He would have gone down there, succeeded... And, like, at the end of it, he'd be quipping with his daughter. He'd be like, yeah, tonight let's have salmon. He would have, like, <laughs> you know, like, like, punched a piranha in the face. Sure, yeah. With his, <laughs> or, no, with his dick. He just would have, <laughs> you know. Yeah, like, and it's so, it's just so refreshing yeah. to see, like, a vulnerable hero and, like, you know he's not the same after this. Like, he, his life is different now. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of cool, too, that the, the little girl, she gets to have her heroic moment. Like, she comes yeah. full circle. She's scared to get into the water. That's, like, a little subplot. And then at the end, she sees all of her friends in danger and the counselors that are so nice to her in danger. Even though she's on the shore and can totally be safe, she gets out there and tries to, you know, gets on like a little um, lifeboat or whatever to to help people or whatever. That's a nice little, you know, full circle thing. It's nice, nice screenwriting. Yeah. Yeah. I I liked it. Yeah. It was a good movie. Almost family friendly movie. (laughs) Except it's. uh, a little bloody and a little bit of TNA here and there, so nothing too... I think that nothing was another, another nice thing is that the heroes never have any sexual yeah. chemistry. They just literally are heroes and team yeah, up. Yeah, I pointed that out when we were yeah. watching it because unlike Halloween 3, for example, when after <laughs> 20 minutes of knowing each other, they're banging in a hotel room, mm. um, this didn't have that at all. Like, I think you mentioned a little flirtation, like when she first goes to his house and she's like, I thought you'd never ask about 
I don't know. She wants to be covered by a blanket, I guess, because right. it's cold. Yeah, it's just a little bit but of that's it. normal human flirtation, yeah. but not just like straight up it's Tom like Atkins They never lose her. focus that they're trying to save people, and yeah. they never lose focus that he's trying to get to his daughter. They never stop, and when he's about to go make this sacrifice to that he might not return from, they don't share a kiss. Right. Like, it's nothing like that, which I think is so lame, and I'm really cool. surprised that Hollywood still does that, because I feel like most people, I would think think it's kind of lame. Yeah. Like, I don't well, know. There's room, there's room for both, but maybe this one could happen a little bit more often type of yeah. thing, you know? All these people went on, well, not all these people, Joe Dante and John Sales, they went on to do a lot of other things, and um, very famously, uh, James Cameron directed the sequel to this, uh, Piranha mm-hmm. 2, The Mutation, but I think his name was taken off of it eventually because he... Uh, had so many creative differences, which is kind of hilarious in a Roger Corman movie. You would think you know kind of what you're signing on for, but James Cameron is cut from a different cloth. So, this some interesting trivia. This says the extras were all paid five dollars a day and given a box lunch. <laughs> oh, I would have done that. I would still do that now. Five dollars I mean, a box if you, lunch. You're basically getting paid to just hang out at a resort. At a resort, right? For the most part, or a camper, you get to just splash in the water. Yeah, sounds kind of fun to me. <laughs> Yeah, when it was actually kind of funny when the piranha were attacking the kids because, like, you could tell Joe Dante was just like, just freak out, freak out. And they're just, oh, like, kicking, oh, yeah. kicking their arms and legs. Like, yeah. like it was kind of hilarious also, looking. During, during that sequence, it was also funny thinking that, like, most of these kids were getting attacked in the ass because, like, <laughs> yeah. they, were, they were in inner tubes, you know, so they were sitting a certain way where the only part they could get attacked is literally their butts, you know. And <laughs> taint first. Yeah, yeah. My taint! They should have had a kid say that. It says Rick Baker was originally tapped to provide the makeup effects, but he recommended 17-year-old Rob Botton instead. Yeah, and that That's guy went on to do quite a bit, too. That's, it's amazing to think, like, teenagers helped make this mm. movie. It's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> okay, so Jeff, start us off. Do you recommend Piranha? Or what, yeah. what, what do you give it? Oh... I think it's like a B minus. B minus. That's fair. Yeah. I'm. I will give it. I'll give it a solid B. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I. I mean, obviously, I'm a huge Joe Dante guy. I'm giving it an A minus. I. I think. Uh, the reason I'm skewing a little bit higher is just because. Um. Like, again, if you're in the mood for, like, a summer horror movie and you've seen Jaws 500 times, like, this is a nice one to kind of slide in there. It's, like, a fun movie, I would think, to watch with a group. You could kind of laugh at certain parts. And there's enough lulls to kind of, you know, just have conversation and everything. I don't want to make it sound like this is a background movie because it's not quite that. But um, just something, if you want to kind of shuffle the deck a little bit, I think this is a nice one to kind of throw in there. It's like a hidden gem, I think. Yeah, a little bit. It's it's a little underseen, even though it's a name, right? And it's just kind of neat to see the DNA of Joe Dante kind of starting out. And you kind of see things he's going to do later on kind of echoing in this movie. So, And also just Dick Miller getting to actually have like a big part. I I like that he dominates kind of the third act or whatever. He's in it quite a bit. I thought he was really fun in it. So uh, definitely recommend. And... uh, Definitely for the Joe Dante completist, for sure. You gotta gotta see this one. So that probably rounds out to like a B plus. Yeah, it might be like a B. I, I, I think B you, minus, got, you guys B, were kind of soft minus. Bs on it, so yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I'm skewing it higher. So, 
All right. We just reviewed. No. We have to sign off. Okay. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> I'm Jeff. I'm Kia. And I'm Craig. And, and we, we just reviewed Piranha. Hey, this is Jason Marsden. I'm here on the Half-Assed Horrorcast. You know what's not half-assed? Uh, Jeff and Craig. They're not half-assed at all. They got all their information here. Appreciate them for having me. Well, Dash, you have anything you want to say? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Jason. Get, get, step, step aside. See, I, I think, uh, I think uh, Jeff and Craig are pretty weird, but, you know, I think I'd rather them be weird than dead. Anyone want a, uh, a black cow at the world of stuff? Follow me. All right, so I have nothing else prepared for today, so we're just going to jump straight into a segment I like to call, officially, What's Making Us Scared, in which the half-assed horror cast kids discuss things in the horror genre in which they are excited or various other emotions about. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm actually going to start us off. I usually go last, but I'm going to start us off because it's kind of related to the movie. Uh, so Joe Dante has started Renfield Productions, and it's uh, the company of acclaimed film director Joe Dante is how it's labeled on Twitter. And it has just started. It's like a brand new thing. It only has 125 followers right now on Twitter. So I highly encourage you, if you're a Joe Dante fan, to follow this. It is going to be kind of the home of all of his movies, and he's going to eventually put... Uh, you know, personal photos up and, you know, it's going to be kind of like an archive for his films and probably a production company going forward where he kind of, it sounds like maybe he has to kind of write his own check a little bit, right? To make Mm -hmm. new movies. So Renfield Productions and that's at Renfield Prods. (laughs) (laughs) Just just look for Renfield Productions on uh, social media and that'll lead you to the actual website which is just called renfieldproductions.com <laughs> so yes renfield productions check it out um, so two really quickly i've recommended some books that af- before i read them that after i read them i wish i hadn't recommended them <laughs> yeah tell, but refresh those on those refresh us on well, the books okay. that you recommended that the you mo- hated because <laughs> mo- <laughs> you've done that twice now the most recent okay so there's a new author that I liked, liked, who wrote a book called Baby Teeth that I think I mentioned on this podcast. Yeah. Um, that was, I thought was fantastic. I loved it. Craig loved it. Yeah, it was Baby Tooth was baby lightning. Tooth. <laughs> <laughs> what did I say? Baby Tooth. <laughs> <laughs> baby Teeth is lightning in a bottle. It's a really great yeah. book. Yeah. Um, so then she had another book called Wonderland, and I was like, I'm, I'm getting every book she writes because this is going to be amazing. And I read Wonderland, and I started to, like, hate read it, where I was just reading just to get through it. Yeah. And um, you recommended that for the podcast. I recommended it for the podcast, yeah. and I gave it, for those who like to read and that are on Goodreads, I gave it one star, mm. um, which means, hated it. Um, and so then I recommended another book called Goblin, a novel in six novellas by the author of Bird Box. Bird it, Box? Is that what it's called? Yeah. How? How many pages was that book? Just out of curiosity. Oh, Goblin was not. It was only 416 pages. Only 416 pages that you recommended for people to read. <laughs> and then you hated it like hated 20 pages it. in. I also gave that one star and it was a hate, hate Reddit. <laughs> okay. Now, I also recommended The Living Dead by George Romero and 
complete it by Daniel Krauss. Um, you like that one? Though. I like. I gave that yeah. one five stars. So I yeah. went. That's what I was going to start as my. What's making me scared is I think I'm recommending that one again, having read it and loving it. And that book is a thousand four hundred and fifty six pages. And I thought this this book is going to have several slow spots. This is going to be. This is, and I didn't think that at all. Yeah. Um, and this is George Romero. George Romero and Daniel Krauss. Yeah. And What's the actual title of the book? The Living Dead. The Living Dead. And also at the end of the book, there's several pages where Daniel Krauss talks about how he completed the book using George Romero's notes, and he gives some more details into George Romero, Romero and his life and his work. And he did so much detailed stuff that I never that I couldn't possibly have imagined yeah. how much work went into this. And it was very interesting. He kind of laid out the timeline of George Romero's zombie movies. Mm -hmm. um, and I never really thought about them not taking place in sequential order, mm. but they don't. And it's just very interesting how much work he, he put into writing this book. So I'm going to recommend that one again. And the other thing I was going that's making me scared is a new show that starts tomorrow on hold on you're going to recommend another thing that you haven't watched okay i'll wait <laughs> <laughs> you, you can say you're excited for it i'm excited That's a yeah. yeah okay i'm excited it's on epics it's called chapel weight and it is a, a a take on jerusalem's lot the stephen king short story which craig has read which i haven't read it's a prequel but, to salem's lot yeah. and it stars adrian brody and honestly the trailer looked good but I'm really recommending it because it has Adrian Brody. I mean, <laughs> I just really yeah, like you're, Adrian you're Brody. Big, the, what, the, what people call a stan. That's what you are for I Adrian just think Bro he's Brody. underrated, even though he's an Oscar winner. Um, mm. I just think he's really good. Um, and he reminds me, looks-wise, of um, Peter Cushing. Oh, yeah. I remember you saying that. And for that, some reason, yeah. right now, I'm obsessed with Peter Cushing. I just think mm. he's also... You see, you see great. Peter Cushing in a lot of people now, because I think there's a tennis player. You also said... <laughs> Peter Cushing, Novak Djokovic, and Adrian yeah. Brody all kind of are the same person. They call them <laughs> look alike. All right. <laughs> I, I think I'll add that to what's making me scared, is you having a little crush on Peter Cushing. <laughs> it's nice. <laughs> all right, Jeff. Uh, let's see. What's making me scared is we started the half-assed Halloween hunt Oh, yeah. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we did the first video of the year. And uh, we had decided that we wanted to only do, like, one a month, like, one in August. Well, first we were going to do one in July and one in August, September, and October. And then there was nothing out in July this year. And there's not that much out in August either. Yeah. So, like... Uh, I think even if we hadn't made that decision ahead of time, we probably it would still be the case because there's nothing to see. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, we got the first video out there and uh, thought it turned out pretty good. I did too. I mean, I feel like that's part of what we're doing with that, this series because this is the fourth year, I think, we've done it. Mm -hmm. And um, part of it is documenting the rollout for each year and that's part of this year is the slow, the slowness. Cause I mean, this, the pandemic two years running for, for the Halloween season mm -hmm. and the fact that that's affected production and shipping and the amount of workers places have. Um, so it's just really, it's interesting to see the rollout versus say 2017 when we started 
and we were literally making full-fledged episodes in July. And now, yeah, we're almost into September and it's, uh, you know, like I was kind of urging Jeff to like, Hey, maybe we could do old time pottery, just an episode (laughs) just on that, you know? And I mean, in 2017, that was like, that's like uh, you the first know, place we went. One of the yeah, first it was like in July. We went there yeah. with other places, and you know, so it's interesting. Yeah, it, seem, it seems like usually by late August, most places other than like Target or Walmart right. already have all their stuff out. But like Michaels is usually like the first place to have anything, and I, you know, they have a little bit. The last time I went, mostly it's like fall and harvest stuff. But like, yeah. I haven't seen very much Halloween stuff. And it's funny because I, you know, I, we made the video. And one of my friends saw it, and she was like, "There's so much Halloween stuff in your video." And then you guys talk about how there's no Halloween stuff out. <laughs> and I was like, "Well, we were only showing what was there." Like, right? We're used like, to it. Know. I mean, everywhere having it by now, and yeah, uh, you know, and and it's kind of because of everything going on in the states, and I mean, everywhere, I guess, like. It regionally, it's different because I've noticed, you know, in social media, people in other parts of the country going, oh, well, my Michaels is completely stocked and my Walmart yeah. already has everything. And but here it's in Tennessee, middle Tennessee, anyway, it's just a totally different ball game. So we're kind of uh, it's kind of going back to the old school way where I'm kind of having friends tell me like, oh, hey, I did see something here. That type of mm-hmm. thing is important again because um, I have no idea how it's going to play down, play out this year. Yeah, I went to um, Home Depot on my lunch break yesterday, and they still nothing. Because I was like, well, I'm going to check to see if that 12-foot skeleton's out yet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I saw an article uh, saying that, um, like, when Home Depot finally had their um, online releases and everything, that apparently everything sold out, like, online, that Mm -hmm. they're, they're, you know, I guess they didn't anticipate. Remember, Jeff? In 2017, or maybe it was 2018, when we asked uh, some people at Home Depot, oh, it like was, an au- it was before we started doing the oh. thing. So it would have been like 2015 or 16. Right. We 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 were like, uh, so when are you guys gonna put out your uh, Halloween stuff? And it was like in August, I think. And mm-hmm. and they looked at us like we were just the world's <laughs> biggest rubes. They were just like, why are you asking us about Halloween? It's the summertime. You're an idiot. I yeah, mean, they, the guy, they were just so upset with us. He I was kind of condescending. The guy was like, he was like, it's August. We don't put Halloween stuff out until October. And we were like, that's not true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like I've yeah. come here every year for like the last like 10 years and you guys have stuff out in August and yeah. you're new here. Oh. And, and cut, <laughs> cut to a few years later where they're selling out before they even put the stuff out on the shelves. You know, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's such a Halloween is such a huge deal now. And it's been really fun to see it grow and become more mainstream in the past few years. I mean, yeah. we felt like we were kind of uh, part of a really weird tribe, but it's mm. it's a very mainstream. Everyone's kind of into it now. So and I think it's fun personally. I'm totally yeah. for it. Well, I still yeah. talk to people who are like seem offended if they see a jack o' lantern in oh, September. Yeah. Give me a break. Because, yeah. like, you know, I've mentioned us doing these videos and they're just like, I just want to enjoy my summer. I'm just like, it, it's not going to ruin your summer if there's a pumpkin at Kroger. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, just I relax. Mean, and, and, like, again, I would be totally fine with them not rolling out Halloween stuff until, say, Labor Day or something, right? But, like, only if they keep the Halloween stuff in stores until October 31st, you know, mm-hmm. or November 1st, whatever. Like, if they were dedicated to that, that would be different. But the fact is, is 
everything turns into Christmas October 3rd or so. <laughs> Yeah. So like uh, you know like people griping about Halloween stuff being out. Well, I mean like that's you just, know it's just the next holiday after the Fourth of July. So it's just like right. if if you know people who are like I just you know I don't I don't want this stuff like they're putting it out too early. It's just like well then that whole section would just be empty shelves for a couple of months. <laughs> like right. they have to put something there. So it's like you know the next thing to put out unless you have back to the school back to school stuff like you know if you're like Target or Walmart or something they're gonna have back to school in between but. You know, Michael's is, you know, it's going to go from summer stuff to fall stuff, you know. So. Yeah, I mean, in, in, you know, August, I mean, it's only a couple months away. Like, you yeah. got to start planning and thinking about what you're going to get. Um, yeah, get it would be awesome. People. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Kia, you, it looked like you wanted to say something and we blabbed over you. I'm sorry. Oh, no. I think I cut you off. No, I changed no? my mind. No, what were you going to say? I wasn't. No, I was going to just say, like, when we were at your parents' house, I had mentioned that maybe... They weren't going to put it, put out as much Halloween stuff because a lot of their stuff, you know, are like oh. <laughs> skeletons and uh, like gravestones and ghosts and stuff. So maybe that maybe there were some stores that didn't think that was a good look during a pandemic. But they did that last year. So yeah, at the height of it. Um, so, but I see what you mean, though. It's just you know macabre stuff. You know how is that going to go over right now when so many people have been affected in ways that are, you know, very dark. But I mean, they put it out last year when things were worse. Right. So, but I mean, like if you go back to the roots of Halloween, one of the things about Halloween is it's kind of like the last celebration before the dark times, right? Winter is going to show up and, uh, it's going to be very dour and sad and, Mm -hmm. uh, back in the day that used to mean a lot of death and hard times. And so that's kind of what Halloween was. It was like the last party before all that stuff sets in. Um, How did they celebrate Christmas back then? (laughs) Well, I think that's why they have Christmas is because it's in the heart of all that darkness. Bring it back up. Yeah. It's kind of like we, we have this big celebration reminding you of like, Hey, the birth of this, you know, this amazing thing that we were so, I don't know, I'm saying that horribly. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? It's like a birth story that, uh, you know, you, you focus in on instead of the fact that it's horrible and well, the they, conditions they are terrible. the religious stuff to that. I think it already existed right. before, but. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, but there's reasons we have all those celebrations and stuff, right. and it's because of that. It's It was such a hard time for people back in the day. And you probably kind of need that stuff to take your mind off yeah. things. And that's what I kind of, that's going back to now. I mean, Halloween, I think is still, there's part of that in Halloween. It's like uh, you're celebrating and, and having fun, and some of it is a little macabre, but that's part of it. It's kind of mm-hmm. like... Uh, why people love horror movies. It's like you're dealing with stuff on a subconscious level, whether you want to or not, you know, you're unpacking some baggage, you know, watching movies about death and chaos and stuff like that. It's kind of like cathartic in a way. Well, if you want your Halloween to smell good, Bath and Body Works has put out their Halloween stuff and they put out their Halloween stuff for only about two weeks. So, Oh yeah. You got to get it. If you want it, you got to get it. Yeah, that's that almost sounded like a, like a live read kind of thing. Like, and if if you go to the website and and uh, put in our discount code, you'll get twenty five percent off your next purchase. Yeah, that was very uh, official sounding. Yeah. That's, yeah. That was totally genuine though. But Bath, yeah. Bath and Body Works, or what is it called? Bath and Body Works. Bath, Bath and Body. Yeah. I usually get that wrong all the time. Bath and Body Works is not a sponsor, so. Oh. They, that would be awesome if they were. Oh, yeah. I'd get free Bath and Body Works stuff. Twenty uh, twenty twenty one. Half-assed Halloween hunt, 
Jeff's recommendation, check out our YouTube channel. It's on the upswing. We, we get we get more subscribers every week. It's pretty nice. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why I'm celebrating. I'm not in them. Well, you're, you're you know. In a couple of them. Yeah, you're in a couple <laughs> of them, and you're spiritually, you're like moral support. <laughs> yeah. On that note, I think it is Kia's turn to pick the movie. It is, and I'm picking a movie called Coherence. That is on Coherence. That's on, it's on Tubi. It's available on Pluto TV and it's, it's available on Amazon Prime for free still. Coherence. Next time on the Half-Ass Horrorcast. Jeff, that means that it will be your pick for October. Oh. So you get the oh. official spooky season selection. So you already start. A lot of pressure. Start thinking about yeah. that, young man. Gotta pick a good one. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. And thank you, Jeff and Kia, for participating. You're welcome. Thank you for listening. Yeah. All right, guys. Stay safe. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Half-Assed Horrorcast. You can find us on Instagram at Half-Assed Horrorcast, Facebook at Half-Assed Horror, Twitter at H-A Horrorcast, and you can send us an email at halfassedhorrorcast at gmail.com or visit our website, halfassedhorrorcast.com. Yeah.